Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Today, we're getting into the weeds of cannabis banking. Our guest is Carrie Kane, an SVP at Regent Bank and the architect of the Tulsa, Oklahoma-based institution's multi-state cannabis banking operation. Kane's experiences as a muscular dystrophy patient give her a unique outlook on the industry. We'll dig into how her personal experiences have shaped the way she leads and dive into the specifics of building a cannabis banking program from the ground up on this episode of Breaking Banks. Alrighty, I am joined by Carrie Kane today from Regent Bank. Carrie, how's it going? It is going fantastic. Always a great day to discuss banking the cannabis industry. <laughs> Excellent. And you are actually right down the road from me here in Oklahoma. Is that right? That is correct. Um, right here in the Tulsa area. Can you tell us a little bit about Regent and its uh, its sort of place in, in the state and what you guys do? Absolutely. So Regent Bank started out as a uh, bank that really catered to the small business industry here in Oklahoma. And the cool thing about Regent Bank is when I started, they were still fairly small. I think we were doing 500 million back in or 600 million in 2019. And today we are a billion dollar bank. So what's exciting here is that year over year, Regent Bank has really seen just explosive growth. And um, with that, you know, comes the need to, to really fund that growth. So the bank started looking at different niche markets that they would be able to cater to in the markets that we're in, which are specifically in Oklahoma and in the Springfield area in Missouri. And so today, Regent also offers an insurance division, a mortgage division, a cannabis banking division, a healthcare private banking division, and um, a Hispanic banking division. So there's something for everyone at Regent Bank, which is pretty exciting. That is for a bank of your size, a billion in assets to be growing so quickly and expanding into such interesting new business lines um, probably keeps keeps your team on its toes. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my understanding, Carrie, that you were brought in kind of one of your big projects when you very first started with Regent was to really kind of figure out the cannabis banking landscape and what a program might look like to your bank. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey for you personally? Yeah, absolutely. So this is I I am not necessarily your average banker. So I'll start there, Amber. I <laughs> actually was uh, worked in retail. So I I'm originally from the Oklahoma area, and my degree is in apparel merchandising, specifically from OSU. And at the time I graduated, there were eight accredited programs in the U.S., with OSU having one of those accredited programs. So I got extremely lucky there. And then um, when I graduated, I moved out of the state to really chase my dream. So my last position was with GAP um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that's where I lived. And I was the director of store operations for All Gap North America stores. And um, my scope really included anything that helped the stores run their daily operation. So you're looking at things like process, uh, writing policy, compliance, rolling out technology, um, all of those things that really make a store tick. And that's where my expertise came into play. So after almost 20 years with the Gap, um, I was presented with a couple of different opportunities. And, and right, right before this, what happened, Amber, is the United States started to see the opioid epidemic kind of come um, emerge as something that was 
super impactful to Americans all over the United States. Um, at that time, what we didn't hear a lot about, and I would venture to say even today, actually, is the other side of that opioid epidemic and the side that really caters to those with disabilities or conditions that re require opioids to maintain their quality of life. And I sit on the other side of that coin. I was actually born with muscular dystrophy um, and it's hereditary in my family. And, and not a lot of people know um, a lot about MD. Um, and essentially, most cases are pretty aggressive. And, and you die in your late teens or your early 20s. Um, I'm 45. And wow. um, I'm, I am super blessed because I am still walking. Now, I do use um, a scooter or a wheelchair if I'm going to the mall, for instance. But... Um, with leg braces and a cane, because I have horrible balance, um, I can get around here, and most people would not necessarily know that that I had uh, muscular dystrophy. But when that opioid epidemic hit, I came down off of my medication levels over a year and a half. I literally cut my meds down to a third of what I had been taking. Was that so the doctors were saying, you know, hey, there's this crisis, we're going to have to start lessening the amount of what we're prescribing? Is that how that happened? Well, what happened was there were limits put in place. And ah. so if you did not have cancer or one of these qualifying medical things and the list was really small, then you could not be over a certain dosage. So okay. um, I was way over that dosage. And I had to step back and step in line because I am not dying of cancer. I've got something else, but it's not, not on that approved list. So um, it really did take a year and a half of stepping back from my medications. And, you know, with that, um, other things emerged because it's now, how do I contend continue to manage my disability and the pain levels that I experience in a way that is, you know, something that we had maybe considered non-traditional. And um, that's where cannabis really became an interest of me, uh, one of my one of my main interests. So I was really curious to learn as much as I could about the industry. And so this is where the stars aligned, right? So I ended up moving back to Oklahoma um, to be there with both of my sisters who had gone through their, it's just this crazy, but who had gone through their own um, cancer journey. Uh, they were both diagnosed with breast cancers, two different types, which was insane. They're both doing great now. And, um, you know, the family, we're all together here in the Tulsa area, which is fantastic. Um, but honestly, Amber, I thought for my retail career, I would retire. And I was super tired because <laughs> I had really worked all the time. And um, so I just moved back in 2018. And this was pre-COVID. And I spent the summer with my nieces and my nephews. And they went back to school. And that's when I got bored. You know, there's only so much uh, reality shows out there we can watch uh, <laughs> Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which has now even ended. So um, <laughs> I thought, okay, what am I going to, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And um, around that time or a few months later, the CEO and chairman of Regent Bank and then my boss today, so his, our CEO's name is Sean Copeland and my boss today, Steve Baker, they reached out to me and they shared, hey, the board has passed us to bank the cannabis industry, and we want you to build this out, build out this division. This would just align perfectly with your skills in creating process and policy um, in, in the areas of risk, as well as, you know, rolling out technology and things of that nature. So I dug in to really understand everything I could about banking and new accounts. And I made sure that I uh, really mastered how to build new accounts and documentation and all of that for three solid events. And then I spent about 
two solid months building a program. And that's really how I got started. And in in middle of June 2019, that's when I baked my first cannabis client. So not your typical usual journey, but um, I, I found that in the cannabis industry, that's that's the thing. If you ask anybody how they landed in this industry, you're going to get some of the coolest and most unique stories out there because this industry is filled with some of the most insanely smart people I have ever met in my life. So it's been an exciting journey. That's really interesting. And I want to come back to that, um, who, who's in this industry. But I also wanted to pause and just appreciate that you came over from a retail background. I think that one of the perhaps least understood um, philosophies around leadership is that we really need to be gathering perspectives from outside of our industry in order to really learn and push our understanding of what's possible in banking. And so I love that um, Sean and Steve, the CEO and COO, respect Effectively at Regent um, took a took a chance on someone that did not know banking in order to build something that is really a, a heavily compliance based program. Yeah, no, and you know, Amber, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because in terms of leadership philosophy and like you said, bringing people in, um, it's also something I look for in my team, um, but. Here, here is the thing. Every industry has been or will be disrupted by technology. And that is just a fact. I think banking is one of the oldest industries out there. If you look at the Knights Templar as really serving as the first banking entity as, as we know it today in modern times, um, and essentially, banking will be disrupted by technology. So I have to quote um, Don Fisher, founder of The Gap, where he says, change or fail. Mm-hmm. And that is really, um, that really sums it up here. And I think in order to drive change, that's where you've got to broaden your points of view and your perspective. So it's not always about promoting somebody that has 20 plus, you know, experience, 20 plus years of experience in whatever industry that you're in. Um, Sometimes it's about balancing, um, you know, expertise in a specific industry with varying points of view and background. And um, it's something that I always led by. So my team also actually comes from varying different backgrounds as well to really round out that skill set um, and push for change in evolution in the banking industry and specifically in how we bank the cannabis industry. Well, yeah. And speaking of, you know, point of view and background, I mean, who would have a better understanding of some of the challenges that pain patients and, and folks with degenerative disorders and cancer, um, the challenges that those folks go through and understand why cannabis is so important to those folks than yourself and your family and that, that incredible story. So I think when point of view gets that personal, um, that would, I would think lead to, uh, and I know you carry, so I know that this is true, a very passionate pursuit of excellence in building that program. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I am in it to win it. And it is, it is very personal to me and I don't look at other banks joining, um, this push as, oh, competition, I want to keep you out, but more so, we are talking about a $50 billion industry that is largely a bank. What are we doing? <laughs> we all need to be jumping in on this. There is plenty of business to go around, but it's about driving out the bad actors, bringing in the banks, banking those that are playing by the rules, and let's eliminate the cash. Because that's truly what needs to be done. Yeah, the cash presents a safety problem for cannabis operators, correct? Correct. Yeah, I think safety all the way around. Um, And quite frankly, they're not able to operate as businesses should be operating. 
right? Um, when you're talking about paying your vendor and sending a wire, those are those are all things that cannabis industry should be able to do as well. Just mm-hmm. because they are selling a product that is, um, quite frankly, overregulated in a lot of states doesn't mean that those business owners are doing something illicit, right? Um, if they're following the state's program, then we we should all kind of cheer them on and be their champion. And that's what I try to do for my clients at Regen, to be honest. It's interesting that these very basic business functions are something that cannabis-based businesses just don't have access to in many cases. And I want to go back, as I mentioned, we would to what you said about the industry, the cannabis industry being really full of smart people. Um, We did a discussion for the Alloy Labs Alliance banks not too long ago where we brought in some folks um, from Shield Compliance and Green Check Verified. And there was a couple of quotes that have just stuck with me so much from that conversation around who is in this industry. Um, and one of them was, I think it was uh, Tony Raponic from uh, <laughs> from the business. I love Tony. Okay, yeah, yeah you love Tony because Tony's great. And yeah. I think it was him that said the days of the stoner owner are gone. Um, and in yeah. that same discussion, he was saying that, you know, this is a mature industry that's bringing in CFOs from other large industries like retail or, you know, different areas like that, manufacturing. And they're bringing in these high-level CFOs that are kind of have their hands tied because they don't have access to financial products. Yep, that is so correct. I talked to... I talk to CFOs and all over the nation in terms of, hey, I need a bank account. Can you help me? And I know the folks at uh, Shield and GreenCheck, and I love both of those uh, companies, by the way. I know that they experience the same thing, that you're, you, this industry really is bringing in true expertise, regardless of where their experience derives from and subject matter related. So I've seen other, re- I've seen retail executives from the Gap move into this in- industry, whether it be from supply chain perspective and or technology perspective in terms of, you know, rolling out something cool and new. And that's, that's where they're getting a hard stop. It's, hey, how do I access banking? And two, it's another hurdle that they're having to overcome, which has to be frustrating. Yeah. So I want to go back. You mentioned that you were brought in after the board at Regent had already voted and decided that they were going to get into banking cannabis. Do you have any insight, Carrie, into what was driving those discussions and ultimately that decision to go ahead and jump in? Yeah, absolutely. It was really the need to fund the growth that we were seeing. So this 10 to 20 percent year over year uh, drive and in growth, it was how do we continue to fund that growth uh, back at that time? So the thought there was, well, let's go into the cannabis industry because if we can get deposits, that could that could help us as we move forward. So I'm just thinking about some of the misconceptions that the board and the leadership team may have had to to really get over some potential hurdles when it comes to thinking about reputational risk or um, or actual cash security and like the safety of moving cash around. Um, you know, I'm curious about some of the misconceptions that the leadership team may have overcome in order to feel comfortable getting into this business. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is something that that will still exist for some time to come, Amber, to be perfectly honest. But um, I think that in any organization, 100% of the folks are not going to be behind uh, banking the industry, right? But for Regent, it was no longer, which, by the way, I do have to say, Regent Bank is a faith-based bank. So um, being in Oklahoma, we we really do try to make sure that we are upholding the right thing to do in any situation. And the bank is really guided by the faith of our leaders. And so... And um, it's interesting because then you're you're touching on religion, right, and the moral 
issue as it pertains to the cannabis industry. But regardless, the board voted this through because it's not about being a moral issue. It's a business decision, right? And you have to separate the two. And so as I've talked to some of the fantastic partners I've made all across the nation, those that are banking the industry, their boards also came to that same conclusion. Now, with that, we certainly um, did our due diligence when it comes to assessing the risk and, and really completing a very comprehensive risk assessment to spell out where are those areas of risk and how do we mitigate that, right? Um, that's that's one of the keys to the success of banking this industry. You've got to be able to identify as many landmines as possible and then build out the plan to get around those. How did you go about doing that, identifying those landmines? Well, for me, it was um, also, it was a lot of it was embedded in the research. So this is where it gets a little more inter- interesting, Amber. I um, when I was brought on, I learned everything I could about cannabis, but I knew that I am often a, a need to be immersed in something to truly understand it. So I called on one of our clients who is a cannabis owner, um, but he also owns other businesses. So I said, hey, can I come along and just go to your grow and your processor and your dispensary to learn more and understand what it looks like? And that was so eye-opening because I asked this specific client a million questions and he was such an open book with me. And he's, these are things to consider, Carrie, when banking the industry. Um, and through that process, I was able to really identify, okay, as a bank, these are some of the things that we need to be cautious of. You know, the the cash logistics component, right? The moral component. The fact that this landscape is constantly changing, Amber. There are new laws and legislation introduced every single year. Um, and um, honestly, lately, it seems like every single day. <laughs> um, and you've got to make sure that you're understanding the state's program or where you're in and understanding what you need to ensure that your clients are doing so that you mit- mitigate the risk for the bank. Um, and then also making sure that those on your team are also staying up to date and those that banks or financial institutions that really begin banking this industry, they will find that very quickly when you raise your hand and say, okay, I'm in, you will have a rush of clients. So mm-hmm. it is critical to build a foundation so that you can scale the business. And those are things I uncovered as I did my research and partnered with one of our clients. Now, with that being said, I wanted to bring the the board and the bank along, so to speak, and do a bit of show and tell. And what I mean by that was, let me bank a few clients. Let's get 10 to 20 clients to show the board what was possible in terms of deposits and what was possible for any other areas of the bank, like, for instance, treasury services, where you may be able to make some income or revenue stream there, what was possible. So my my goal was really to show them, here's what it can look like. And um, with that, I was able to ask for more resources. And I knew I couldn't go any further without um, getting some technology to support banking our program that was outside of our traditional core uh, compliance technology or BSA AML. There was, you need, you need that additional cannabis, cannabis software, so to speak, that will help you ensure that the funds being deposited in your institution are above board and they are gained by selling cannabis the way into who it's supposed to be sold by. And so the board, thankfully, was just very um, accommodating to my request. So 
I was able to go out to RFP and speak with all the big industry players. At that time, it was hyper. You know, they're no longer offering cannabis compliance for financial institutions. They're they're more so a payment provider now, but um, Green Check and Shield um, to make sure that I had that specific software to satisfy our regulators and, quite frankly, to satisfy myself to make sure I wasn't banking any bad actors. And so today we work with Green Check, and I'm extremely proud to say that I've grown my team to five other people. Um, I'll also be adding four more players to my team this year. And um, we do have the technology that we need. So it's been wildly successful. And I've got almost uh, over 500 clients now. So it's, it's, it's been such a wild ride, Amber, and so fun. Hello, listeners. I'm Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks. Together, myself and Dr. Richard Petty have recently released our latest best-selling book, The Rise of Techno-Socialism. We look at how inequality, artificial intelligence, and climate change are going to shape our world moving forward. During the pandemic, the wealth of the world's billionaires ballooned. The richest 1% added $1.6 trillion to their wealth, meaning that they own more wealth than the bottom 90% of Americans today. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic, but artificial intelligence could disrupt up to 80% of the jobs today. These new industries we are creating will face labor shortages because we aren't training our students with the right skills. By 2050, we'll need to produce 70% more food to feed the 9 billion inhabitants of the planet. But we lost 40% of our farmland to erosion and pollution in the last 50 years. By 2050, 570 global cities face inundation from sea rise. Miami, Guangzhou, New York, Calcutta and Shanghai are just the top five cities. If you want to know more about the solutions to these problems, check out The Rise of Techno-Socialism, our latest best-selling book. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to riseoftechnosocialism.com to find out more. Welcome to the future. Welcome to the Futurists, where your hosts, Brett King and Robert Tursek, interviewed the world's foremost super forecasters, thought leaders, technologists, entrepreneurs, and futurists building the world of tomorrow. Our guests include Kevin J. Anderson, a New York Times bestselling author that worked on the Oscar-winning Dune movie, Andrew Hessel, synthetic biologist and author of The Genesis Machine, and Dr. Harry Clore of Beyond Imagination, the company behind robot avatars like Bamney, one of the most sophisticated general purpose humanoid robots on the planet. Together, we will explore how our world will be radically changed over the coming years. AI bioscience and gene therapy, renewable energy and battery technology, food and agriculture advances, computing, the metaverse, the space industry, crypto, resource management, supply chain automation, and climate change will all reshape our world over the next 100 years. Join us on The Futurist to explore what's coming next, and we will see you in the future. I'm curious, going back to the technology that you're working with, um, in that field trip, one of the things that I've talked with other bank leaders about with with who are considering getting into this is that you really have to understand the supply chain to understand the flow of yeah. funds so that you can know kind of where, to your point, where where this these funds are coming from and making sure that it's it's all legal sales. So can you get into just a bit about what the technology actually does to help? Is this like a seed to sale? That's the phrase that we often hear, um, mechanism, and, and how does that work? Right. You know, and that's, I'm glad you asked that question because if there are financial institutions out there and that are just starting to look at that, I'm sure they're going up okay, I'm hearing seed to sell all the time, but I don't understand what is this. Neither do I, so um, (laughs) please tell us. (laughs) No, it it is a great question. And when I got started, I was like, huh, interesting. Okay, and this is where my retail background really helped me, right? Because what you're talking about here is essentially a retail business. Um, It's got some farming included. 
and it's got some baking included. But at the end of the day, they're business owners selling a product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at it and when we think about seed to sale, and what we're talking about is when you start with a grower and a grower says, okay, I'm going to be licensed and I'm going to grow cannabis and then sell it. So growers will start and what they do is they may tag a plant with an RFID tag and that RFID tag will have a unique barcode. And essentially what they do is they scan it into their seed to sell software, whatever they may be using. And for the life of that plant, as it moves through the supply chain, it is now tracked, right? It's kind of like, if you think about it, humans and social security numbers, we all have an identifier, right? Um, and we're tracked. Well, you know what I mean by <laughs> in terms of track. But if you're applying for something, then you've got your social security number. And so that verifies your identity. Same thing with RFID tag. So what happens then is as that plant moves through its growth life cycle, and let's say it's ready to harvest, the grower is essentially going to sell the product to two, two, in the, two different types of entities. One could be a processor, and in some states they call that manufacturing, but essentially, um, and then also a dispensary. So the dispensary sells straight to the patient or in the states where it's recreational, the, the human being on the other side of the transaction, the, the Joe and the Jennifers that walk into the dispensary to buy the product. On the processor side, if the grower sells to the processor, then what happens there and with the dispensary side is in, the, the, in their transactional uh, software systems or their POS, point of sale systems, what that grower is doing is saying, okay, these are the specific products that I am selling to this specific processor. And that processor would need to be uh, licensed by the state in which it's purchasing, as is the grower. And the seed to sell software essentially tracks that RFID tag now moving over to the processor. And so the processor is going to turn that into some type of baked good or um, maybe an oil, you know, whatever they're going to turn that into. And so essentially that that product gets tracked all the way through. Wow. So this is a really complicated supply chain and we're we're getting all the way down to an individual plant with its unique RFID that stays with it for the life of that plant. That is an insane amount of detail. It sounds a little crazy, but the thing is, is it's critical because if you think that, um, let's say a dispensary sells a product what happens if somebody gets really sick after using that product? Um, well, there could be a recall needed, right? We see this with groceries sometimes where recall is needed. And, hey, if you bought this here, that's where it's so critical to have proper seed to sale in the states. And most states have a, a required seed to sale platform. So metric is a huge one. Now, where the green check and the shields come in is they are mapping the payment of that product. So they're mapping that, yes, this sale was made to um, another licensed entity, and it complied with that specific state's program. Because as you think of the 36 states that offer uh, cannabis today, in whether recreational or medicinal or both, every single state does it differently. So every single state has a different set of rules. And that's where the shields and the green checks come in because they know every state-specific set of rules, and they likely have a rules engine. Um, and I know green checks, so that's who I use. Um, they have a rules rules engine that tells my team, yes, that sale was made legally. And if, for instance, something was off, let's say a state has time limits on when product can be sold. 
um, you know, you can't sell any product after 10 p.m. If there were a transaction to happen after 10 p.m., it would be flagged in green check saying, hey, this specific transaction was not within the state's rules and compliance. And then our my bankers would know, oh, this is what I need to do from a monitoring perspective. So the shields and the 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 shields and the green checks really come in when we're talking about the sale in the movement of funds, you know, okay. the cash that the ACH, the check. Got it. So Let's talk about the team. You mentioned, I think that you've got five and you're adding four more this year. Explosive growth. So how do you think about what you need on that team? And if you could just walk us through a little bit about how you conceptualized building it, you know, kind of from the ground up and also what talent you've got your eye out for in the near future, who you think you're going to have to hire in the next several years. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for my strategy, I actually built a I built a tool that would show me when I would need to add headcount into which team. So it's it's a bit predictive, but that would help me build out my strategy for the next three years. Now, in looking at it, um, we are required to do a significant amount of monitoring and reporting on each cannabis business every 90 days, right? And this is where banking the cannabis industry gets really complex because this is a FinCEN-driven requirement. Um, and every financial institution that banks this industry, in order to bank it correctly, you must comply with that. So, there is specific skills that you want to look for in order to make sure that your team is operating in the way that you need it to be. Now, on the other side, you're going to be constantly having new accounts come in because the pipeline in this industry is pretty large. So, you're going to be looking for a different skill set over on that new accounts or accounts management side, right? Somebody that's super client facing and um, it really just that client friendly. In all roles, however, they have to have a couple of just baseline skills and organization um, compliance eye for detail. Now, for me, I wanted to make sure that I got a mix of experience in different varying points of view. So when I built out my monitoring team, I went out and grabbed a guy who had been uh, embedded in the casino world. And so he had a deep history of high cash, high compliance. That just was a natural fit to kind of take my monitoring team and run with that. And so it was just such a perfect slot in. Another person that I got that was um, with a different set of skills, but a little bit similar, was really around um, a financial analyst in the school district, in one of the the Tulsa school districts. So I was able to nab her. um, And then the other person was a promote within who had had experience in banking operations as well as the support center. And so she had an expertise of our core systems. So all of these three folks that today sit on my monitoring team have a little bit different skill sets that all complement each other. Um, Over on my my account side, I actually hired um, a person who has her MBA and she's got an emphasis in the uh, marketing background. That's what her her BS was in. And so I hired her to lead uh, the accounts management in the new account side. And then to assist with that, this is where we had another promote with from within who came from the loan side, who was a loan assistant. And so she had that experience of, I mean, let's be frank, chasing down documentation (laughs) in order to get the loans across the finish line. Well, now she's chasing down documentation in order to get that new account across the finish line. And so as I'm looking to expand, I'm really looking at um, 
somebody who will be able to, my next role, spot holes in processes and help us uh, define or refine and elevate the way that we're, we're banking this industry. That is a ton of growth. And I think that's probably indicative of the growth of this business line. How has the bank generally, the leadership, the board um, responded to to the growth trajectory that you're seeing? And, and what are their, um, you know, if, if you have insight into this, you know, what are the bank's hopes and wishes for this line of business in the future? I think that they have been really excited. And I told them, I said, hey, listen, you guys tell me when to stop, how high is high, because <laughs> I am going to keep going and I'm going to keep growing. Um, and they have been very, very excited about the progress that the team has made and the value add that it's brought the bank. And so much so that they've actually even promoted me as I've built out that program, which is exciting. Um, Congratulations. And why, thank you. I think the plan is that we're just going to keep growing and growing. In fact, Amber, I'm so excited because um, we are going to expand our cannabis program to be nationwide. So what I'm doing is I've got a lot of clients that are NSOs or multi-state operators within the industry and the other states that they're in, I'm going to go in with them. So that way, rather than having, you know, eight, 10 different separate banks where the CFO of the organization has to piece a whole bunch of different systems and information together in order to get a comprehensive view of how their, their business is performing, I'll be able to remove that obstacle for them. So I'll be able to bank in this, uh, offer them accounts in the states that they're already in to make it easier for those NSOs to understand, quite frankly, where their money's at. Um, so this is something we're super excited about and that we're excited for Green Check to help us get there with. That is really exciting. Congratulations. Having a, a, a line of business that allows you to extend nationwide is definitely, I'm sure, very exciting to the entire team there. Um, and it definitely speaks to, you know, you mentioned treasury and, you know, other product lines that you can help these folks with. If you're with them in every state, I think that probably makes that proposition of, of cross-selling and add-on services a lot more attractive, probably. Oh, absolutely. And this was, this was actually an idea that came from one of my clients. And he said, man, I, I love working with Regent. You know, I've got bank at Colorado and California and it, they're just so difficult to deal with. And, and I wish I could just have everything under you guys. And it got me thinking, well, why can't he? Right. And yeah. so I think it's just being open to those possibilities of, well, why not? And then, you know, pushing and seeing how far can you go with whatever you're working on, right? Um, so, yeah, definitely. It definitely makes it easier for, for the client and, and quite frankly for our, our team to assist the new clients that are in our pipeline as well. This is all amazing growth and rainbows and excitement. I'm curious what kind of a, what an example is of a roadblock or a challenge that your team has faced as you've been building out this program over the last several years. Oh yeah, I mean, it does sound like all rainbows and sunshines, right? <laughs> uh, but there there have definitely been hurdles and and things to think through because. You you can be great at operations and have a big history, but you're not going to be able to plan 100% for everything, right? You're going to need to be a bit agile and um, really problem solve. So I think for us, one of the things that we really had to think through and begin solving for is the cash logistics component. And we, you know, one thing that that we didn't do in the beginning was require uh, require like a armored car service or require like cash logistics for those entities. So we allowed them to do deposits at our branches, but it's a significant amount of cash, right? So 
we had to think through how do we do that going forward and really get some players in terms of cash logistics that could act as our vault and take that money straight to the Fed. So that's one thing that we had to solve for further down the line. Um, And another component I would say is that these businesses have extremely large transactions on their debit cards that they use. So when they go out and buy supplies, you know, if you're talking about growers, some of these lights for the growers could be $46,000. Wow. Um, Yeah. I mean, like equipment and um, supplies are expensive. So there's two things that, that really come from that is one the bank is going to see some nice uh, interchange revenue there. But two is that the transaction amounts are so high that you're going to have to think about how do you raise the limit for those cannabis compliance on their debit cards and make sure that the bank still stays safe in terms of, you know, if something were to happen with the debit card. So those are a couple of the hurdles that we definitely had to think through. Um, and then also the other thing is when you're fi- when you've got that many clients and you're having to file these reports every 90 days, you've got to make sure that you're on the ball um, and that you understand exactly what you're summarizing and sending in. Um, because not turning those into census <laughs> is not an option when it comes to banking the cannabis industry. So just making sure that your process and your systems there are are locked tight is important. Mm-hmm. And luckily, that is what banks are so good at, right, is compliance. Um, it's funny yeah. that you mentioned the cash issue. Years ago, I was interviewing a lawyer who helped one of the very first credit unions who ever banked cannabis. And he was saying, we, you know, we just kind of started and didn't didn't think that there would be that much of a cash issue, but they would have to pull people off the teller line and just have them sitting there counting cash in a back room like all day. It makes me think of like yep. Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> you know, swimming around yeah, in the vault. Totally. Um, it's, yeah. it's, and, you know, Amber, I, not to interrupt you, but like what's interesting about that is, yeah, we... We bank cannabis, but let's say we had to add team members all over the bank. So we're talking tellers, we're talking um, account managers that sit within the branch, we're talking the operations team. Everybody kind of had to add headcount. Mm-hmm. And for my team specifically, I think everybody can can feel the pain around hiring folks right now and finding the right talent and retaining that talent. Um, So for me and my team, this is where it gets uh, pretty interesting because financial financial institutions are not necessarily paying the salaries that we see other publicly traded companies offering. Or even in Oklahoma, the oil and gas industry is extremely huge here. So... um, it's offering my team something a little bit different that's more attractive to that candidate. And for me, that's the ability to work remotely or sit wherever they need to sit and, and handle their business however they need to handle their business. I, I'm one of those leaders where when I hire somebody, I trust them. I don't, I don't think you have to earn trust. Trust should be given. And if something were to happen, then, you know, trust, Trust would obviously uh, fall, and but for me, I I allow my team to work in an environment that's most conducive to them achieving results because results do not look like sitting in a seat in a cube from eight to five anymore. That's not reality, right? Reality is results will look like, hey, I got everything that I needed to do done. And maybe they stopped at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday to go to the grocery store because it's not as crowded. And I'm okay with that because I know that my team is getting their work done. And I think that that type of attitude is really attractive to candidates right now. So if you want to hire top talent and retain them, you've got to think about the how 
in terms of how they work um, and think that through in order to offer something that's, that's more competitive in today's environment. I'm glad that you took us to this space, Carrie. I think this is a great place to kind of land in this area of leadership and what it means to be a leader today, not just in this really interesting, you know, post-COVID world, but also charging into exciting new business lines um, like cannabis or other banks that are looking at things like cryptocurrency. So I'm curious, just in this time of, of disruption and constant change, what would you give as kind of a take-home message? carry to other bank leaders out there today? I would say um, if you're thinking about going into this industry, do your homework. It is so critical that your board and your financial institution gets behind the resources that it takes to bank the industry. It is very heavily compliance driven. And so you got you cannot bake this industry without the technology. You can, but your headcount, uh, your headcount to account ratio would be astronomical in order to bank it correctly. So you've got to be able to invest in the technology it takes, and then you've got to invest in the team. And I think there it's important about getting a diverse background and um, rich clients so that, or I'm sorry, uh, team members, so that those folks joining the team are coming in with different points of view, um, but understanding that the compliance and due diligence in this industry is required. It's not, it's not negotiable. And so I say, you know, do your homework, uh, be open to hiring a team that doesn't necessarily have a banking background and honestly buckle up because <laughs> once you begin, you will need to scale your division, your cannabis division to keep it going. Um, but it's so exciting and you meet some of the smartest, passionate people you have ever worked with in your life. And I agree with Tony, um, the stoner owner, it, that, that does no longer exist. So that's not what this industry is about. But um, it is such an exciting time for every financial institution to join this journey. If they're looking at growing their bank or just serving their market appropriately. Awesome. Well, Carrie, perfect words of wisdom to, to end on. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to watching Regent continue to flourish and grow. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. This was really fun. It's always a great day to talk about banking the cannabis industry. So <laughs> I appreciate you, you having me on. Of course. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend, or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.